I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. This week is part two of our interview with Tim Xavier and John Osborne. Not going to do the intro again because I will screw it up and I don't want to record any more takes. Uh, so we're going to get into that in just a minute here. One thing that I uh, I have to bring to the attention of people that's driving me a little crazy right now, and I don't understand it. Um, what is it with every techno DJ under the sun needing to have only black and white Instagram accounts or Facebook profiles? I mean, it's cool. I get it. You know, I went to college once and I had a camera too. Uh, I figured out quickly that everything was instantly better in black and white. Uh, but come on, man. You guys are supposed to be the creative ones here. And there's some pretty wild colors out there, so fucking spice it up a little bit. Not everything has to be so doom and gloom. And I know I've seen you guys play, and it's not that gloomy either. So knock it off with the black and white bullshit. Thank you. Here's the interview. So have we got any more questions from the internet? <clears throat> no, nothing good. <laughs> nothing good. <laughs> is, there any, is there anything you guys are feeling these days that's... Uh, you're interested in talking about or something pissing you off? Uh, I found an interesting article. I don't know if you guys read that. It was on Ransom Note. Do you know Ransom Note? No. I know of it, but I don't... It's a, it's a British um, kind of, uh, I don't know what you call these things, magazine, blog, hub, mm -hmm. port, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're, there's, there's some cool guys, and there's some good journalism going on there. And this guy wrote an article... Um, about stopping WAV snobbery, you know, high resolution. Oh yeah, snobbery. I did hear about it, but I haven't. Uh... Yeah, it was a really, really interesting article. Um, and what what I found really interesting there was how how MP3 got its bad name, was how it got its yeah. stigma, which is you know from from when when MP3s first hit the scene, everything was being ripped at like sixty kilobits a second well, no, I and, and 128 was a quality thing no. you know, I can actually remember one of my guys he was like one of the first people to because you know if it's on a CD it's high quality yeah, yeah right exactly because yeah. if it exists yeah. on this like cool silver disc yeah I remember riding in like a girlfriend's car and like the 90s, and of course everything sounded her, like shit and her dad's like oh yeah. I got the Beatles and I downloaded it from the webby web or whatever yeah and it was like 160 kpbs oh that was a very good quality then 160 yeah. for that time yeah for that time it was like, was like super whoa. watery exactly well, but most things were ripped at fucking 60 i just want to debunk the whole thing it's like if you've got great production and a great pre-master and your tune is mastered properly through an analog signal chain and finalized properly um like when i make a 320k mp3 from a 24-bit 44-1 wav um i can a and b that and I guarantee you, on a, on a loud system, you're not going to tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. Well, you've always got to you, just, you just can't. I mean, the human ear cannot calculate that. And if you say you can, you're an asshole. You're it's scientifically you're an proven. <laughs> yeah. like, you, you're just some. I mean, yeah. And and you know, my ears are tuned. I'm not trying to be all showy offy, but um, the information that's chipped away to compress these files is in the upper 
upper mids and, and high frequency ranges. Yeah, and you've you also know. got the same. So you mix. get this watery kind of ness, and there's also some lower mids that are chipped away as well. And uh, the CDJs have got their own sound cards and processing format on them as well. Anyway, that's, cool. that's like, where you're going to notice the degradation, though, is the physical format. Yeah. Well, Whatever t- it is, they all have their limitations. Like yeah. today, what we do, for instance, like we, we know like all of our clients are going to like make MP3s. So we set our um, maximization ceiling at minus 0.4. Um, so you still get like your wave or AIF is still loud. Mm-hmm. Um, with the compression and limiting, but then when you encode a 320k MP3, and what happens is new peaks are built. Um, so you have this like 0.5.4 ceiling, like headroom, for these peaks to exist without clipping digitally. Um, okay, whatever. Falling on deaf ears. This is the stuff that Tim's really good for, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you're still listening, it's uh, half past the hour. <laughs> if you, we're talking about MP3 peaks. Uh, I just like you know I like you know I get the whole thing from other engineers. They're like, "Oh my god, Tim! I can't believe you're playing MP3s through Tractor." And I'm like, "Dude, you danced all night." <laughs> well, know? I mean, what it comes down to, and this is like when. All right, so if you're a DJ, you download the track from wherever you buy it or you rip it off from YouTube or something. So not only do you put it in, whether you're playing it on Tractor or on the CDJ, then it goes into the DJ mixer where you will most definitely redline the shit out of it, which means distort it because that's what every DJ does. (laughs) So then that ruins the signal a bit. Then it goes through something called a compressor that changes the sound even more. Or and then like the hits, central processing unit yeah. for a function one system. <clears throat> and then, then it hits the sound system, which has its own setbacks or advantages. And, and, that, the room, and then that you changes the, room, the sound. The room, the room saturation. Then you have the room and the things that, like the sounds that bounce off the walls, and then it falls onto drunk or high people's ears. <laughs> so that song that you intend on playing for people is going to change about five different degrees by the time it even gets into their brain. So why are you worried about something that is like one... 92nd of a difference with, yeah. if it's even arguably there. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think that's the thing. Like in a hi-fi, hi-fi listening experience, a, a studio with balanced monitors, you can A and B these things and hear the nuances and the difference. But when you're you're like experiencing a dance floor. And you're in I'm a saying. rock box. You're yeah. in a fucking rock box. <laughs> yeah. Like this coffee has got a lot of sugar in it, you know. It's hit the saturation point. It doesn't get any sweeter. Yeah. It's loud. It's boomy. We can still have a conversation. But, I mean, like, you're you're in it, man. And, like, I've heard Dance Mania records, which are terrible mm. cuts yeah. on the Berghain system, sound dope. I think it's, but it, it's geared know, for that, you know. Totally. But, That's the whole point. This yeah. kind, of, kind of touches on the uh the chat that you had with uh mr ambivalent kevin mm-hmm. um i listened to that that podcast i did too but not all, not all the way through <clears throat> oh, I, I got all the way through with it and uh, it, was, well, it was a great it was, it, was, it was no it was a great chat and uh, uh props to props to kevin um you know i'm, I'm a, definitely uh, an ambivalent and fan of all the stuff that he's doing with the la4a stuff and the rest of it but i i really found it interesting what what he was touching on there of just you know at the end of the day, it's the essence of a good idea in a song that needs to be communicated, and the medium and the format and the sound quality is actually irrelevant as long as there's that that good idea, that hook, that that national, that that sense of inspiration that got the person that producing that track 
that they're vibing on, that that gets communicated to the, the dance feeling. floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that vibe gets communicated to the dance floor, not the quality of sound that gets communicated to the dance floor. Yeah, okay, of course that help, that, that's going to that's gonna make a yeah. good vibe sound even better, but it's not gonna, a good quality is not going to make a shit track okay, with, that's without devoid of vibe and soul sound good. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't polish a turd, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think anybody that tries to make music or, or succeeds in making music is going to fall victim to that at some point, you know, because um, it's really easy, especially when you're the guy that's sitting at the computer in dance music. It's always the producer with bands. It's the producer, not so much the guitarist and shit. You really start to get specific on details and noticing things that really don't matter, and then you're yeah. you're you're taken away from the, the quote unquote feeling. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, I I still do it. You know, there's times where I get way too technical, and I'm like, okay, the feeling that I had when I was kind of jamming these ideas it's out, it's gone. Yeah, it's I've, gone. I've, I've just I've just I've just killed that. I've just milked yeah. milked the vibe. It's gone. Yeah, I, I do exactly the same. You know, I, I, I load up, I go, okay, you know, of course, start with the drums, start with the kick drum, put down a 909, and I end up spending six hours playing with the compression and the EQing on that, just on the fucking kick drum. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, I just, just leave it. Just put any fucking kick drum down now. Just, just get the idea out. Get, you know, before, yeah. before that vibe and emotion and feeling and inspiration has gone, just get the idea. Because all of that technical side of stuff at that point doesn't matter. It just doesn't totally. matter. Well, you know, I think a lot of people, especially with the internet these days and everybody's a critic, people or artists or whoever, they... <laughs> Where'd you go to school? YouTube. YouTube. I call them... I call, I, we, we, have, we have people out there, I call them YouTube scholars where they know everything, but it's because they watch a 15-minute documentary on Vice or something. But Everything you need to know about being a vegan. YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> Oh Christ! Now I lost my train of thought. Good. <laughs> it's a train wreck. I think you need another it last is. One. Get in there. Let's get in there. <laughs> it took us very long to train wreck. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, sorry, it's my fault. No, no, it's all good. I mean, the thing is, though, with um, with artists, is that a lot of people, because they talk so much shit on the internet, people assume that the, I don't. I, you know. Uh, the general listener or viewer or whatever the art form is, those people don't get enough credit. Like, for example, if, if we're sitting here, the three of us on the microphone, people – this is actually one of the most intimate ways you can actually get to know somebody as opposed to reading an interview or something. Sure, totally. They're, they're going to sit – well, hopefully they'll sit here <clears throat> for the whole hour, hour and a half, two hours of this yeah. podcast. I like and to it's, vacuum my apartment. It's straight into their earbuds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like they can tell uh, sincerity – Immediately, like if someone's bullshitting or, or, or tries to tries too hard to make a joke or something, you can hear that completely yeah. obvious, and then that translates to any art. I mean, you could uh, even in your craft or business, like in life, like people don't get enough credit for being able to tell bullshit a mile away, and I think it's just because they're trying to be nice or passive aggressive and not call it out. Yeah, but I mean, it and. and that's part of it. Like whether you're DJing or you're making stuff, like if you can hear tracks, you're like, okay, this is well made or this is a, not a bad idea, but it's like, I don't know if they're feeling it. And whereas when you listen to something like this guy was totally feeling this in the studio, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's all. That's what I feel about that. We could just start like a label that's based on like super faulty 
repetitive like nonsense. But like, oh yeah, you know, these guys don't feel anything. It's terrible. It's the worst label ever. That would be most of techno music at the moment. I gotta say one thing. Like, here's the deal. Uh, the whole modular synthesizer thing. This shit's got to go. Oh, I mean, listen, oh yeah. I I like nothing against <laughs> modular synthesizers because they're a lot of fun to mess with and blah blah blah. But like the whole making a techno track out of your 15 minute bleepy jam, it's driving me fucking insane. Like it's just bleeps and a little bit of reverb and a little bit of distortion. It's dumbed down the art. Dustin, there's kids out there making tracks that are more banging from sample packs that come that come that people sure. are doing with modular of systems. Course. I mean, I think know, a little bit of both is good. Yeah, oh, no, to- totally, but I mean, you know, I don't care where the source of the sound comes from. What I care about is the vibe of the music. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm that's saying. That's, like, yeah. I don't, you know, there's people out there like Alessandro Cortini or, or drum cell with his Who do, doing stuff. incredible stuff. Yeah, or Steve Stoll, I think, is doing yeah. some modular, where it's like very musical and it doesn't necessarily sound like a modular jam yeah but a lot of these kids it's just like the most basic little bleeps and bloops that you can get immediately <laughs> after plugging in three thousand dollars worth of modules yeah and then they put a kick drum and a hi-hat under it and they call it a day yeah and hey listen some of those are pretty kick-ass but when you get them by the dozens every week yeah that are like completely devoid of any sort of soul or feeling it, it's it just gets to be a bit i just much. remember like in the late 90s we wanted I, I i strive to get those records like to get bleepy stuff yeah yeah i would have loved to have like a whole box but the 90s ones like still that. had more and now that it's saturated it. we're like i'd love to get it sing- all remastered there's nothing wrong with bleepy techno i'm just saying no no, no, i got you man i'm with you i'm I'm on the same page i'm just saying like it's funny how now that it's saturated we're singing in different tunes well let's be honest as well most of those modular kits that they're not actually making any music that's ever going to be you know committed to wax most of it is just just most of it is just instagram videos of flashing lights it's it's like my mood modular it's just a zen thing like i totally get it i mean i listen i don't buy modulars i i did it real briefly i wasn't into it and i knew that i was either going to get like so far into it that i'm spending too much money or i just wasn't going to like it so i binned it but you know, I really like to just mess around on a synthesizer, like a one with a keyboard and a reverb pedal, and just get all like you know yeah, out yeah. there and droning and shit. And just I'm not trying to make a record, so I get there's like you come home from work, you just want to tune out and just make some cool sounds. There's nothing wrong with that at all. No, just no. please don't try to sell it to me. That's no. all I'm saying. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally fucking agree with that. <laughs> that being said, I'm. I'm only well, yeah. I'm partially sorry for the people I pissed off. Please <laughs> continue to do music. Yeah, yeah. Do not too. sell the modular rig. I'm just saying, like all those go, people we know uh, that are making fantastic tunes. Oh no, uh, fuck just, it. You can do better, kid. You really can. Point. Yeah. We can go on for days. Well, and this this has to do with the modular synth thing. It's like the music doesn't do you. You've got to like. I mean, the the patching and the creativity is endless. But what's happening is a byproduct of the mystique of having all of these great modules with blinky lights and CV control. Um, you know, like the the maybe some of the producers are getting lazy. Like, oh, it goes bleep blop. You know. Well, that's also what's cool right now. I mean, let's be honest. Like, that's the sound of the moment. So 
it's on vogue yes yeah i mean fuck it you know and when you're when you're it doesn't matter what age but let's say a lot of the kids are in their 20s especially the early 20s and you get something that's popular right now and you spend all this money get a rig and you put a kick drum and you're like well what's i would think that's kick-ass too i would probably try to put it out so i'm not even uh i can't really argue that i just as someone that's been buying records for a long time it really gets a little depressing because the thing with music right now and you know i i'm not really blown away by what's coming out with house either but especially with techno you have it's very um diversified but not necessarily in a good way and when it comes to party techno there's not a lot of good stuff i mean of course you have <clears throat> the obvious things like uh drum code and the other b-port labels but there's not a lot of joey beltram like, yeah like the ni- <laughs> no but i mean like the 90s party techno 90s party techno, like i mean like, going for it dude uh, like joe manu some of the old, hyperactive yeah, he's, he hyperactive, was like he was so like the king stuff. of bleep i mean these tunes there was uh curtis joe uh green velvet I mean, Preacher Man. Yeah. What a cool, syncopated, like, track. Yeah. I mean, and he, he would sit in the corner in Chicago and just watch as uh, Lego or someone would play that tune for the first time and watch them kids go nuts just to see if it had the effect he was going for. <laughs> the, the, art, the artistry has changed. You know, it's like pro-analog, um, pro you know, organic, like, you know, things only sound great if they come from a drum machine and this, like, mixing console with everything patched into it. Whereas, like, the artistry then in, like, the late 90s and early 2000s was just totally different in my... Well, I think people weren't... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I also I just think sound like people... A dick, but... No, I think people back then were not so really worried about uh, whether it was going to there was just a different vibe back then like it's kind of dumb but right now what just popped in my head is like what I'm kind of seeing with music is similar to what happened with like these Batman movies and shit like that like all this but <laughs> yeah. like everything got dark and now everything is about it's all about being sleek and stripped down and dark and you know what I mean like that's just across the board for music these days like uh, it it you know, it's almost like they people are afraid to be more open about shit and like have maybe it's a some sort of vocal that's more positive and uplifting, like dare I say, like diva esque or something like that. Like some of these '90s tracks were much more willing to drop in that kind of shit, whereas now it's very like very scaled back. I mean, would you agree? Like, I'm mm. I'm finding a hard way to. Yeah, I totally. It's it's just become really conservative in a certain way. Yeah, um, I think that's also the, so that you touched on with with what Kevin was saying as well is that you know things have become really people. A lot, there's a lot of safety. A lot, of, but that's, that's it's kind of like cool what they're doing. You know, it's totally cool. But it's yeah, it's this not 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 being um, willing willing to take risks or anything or put your neck on the line in yeah. a certain way but I mean that sounds like a diss because you know, I don't want to diss anyone for doing what they're doing and if they're into it and they like it that's fucking cool uh, well, I've just, I've, just like, I've, I've already lived yeah. the, the dark techno warehouse thing I mean my, my aim these days is like I just love a little bit of light and a little bit of party a little bit of funk oh, I hate the word funk but like 
Well, but the thing is, I think there is room for tracks to be all of those at the same time. True. Like, you know, um, a lot of people these days, they will think that let's take somebody, an artist like Surgeon. I mean, granted, he does do a lot of pretty dark, rough music at the moment. When he first started, a lot of those tracks were quite melodical and um, kind of party starters and stripped down. They're all the things that you would look for, and that's kind of what gave him the kickstart to have this kind of legendary career but these days a lot of music coming out in the techno realm it's just kind of one thing or the other and they're afraid to mix it together you know and then when you when you speak about other styles like house for example it's like either it's not even close to house it would be more like uh the inner visions thing or yeah, yeah, yeah. Us, and it's like this is not real house no you know? so i don't know it's a little bit a little bit depressing that people are yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's not it's not being prepared to stick your neck on the line because you you, it's, it's, you can play a certain type of set where you just know that you're not going to be open to any kind of criticism in any way you know you just yeah. you just literally you know the cliched expression you've played it safe you mm-hmm. literally have, and that happens and it, and and that sometimes is what ends up being most successful and celebrated because the there's nothing to criticize and people are too eager to be positive about things anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and then you have some guy that comes along and literally does put his neck on the line and takes risks and plays an amazing set, but then is open to criticism. And then people go, no, I didn't like the fact that he played that tech, that, 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 that disco in the middle of the techno set. That was all a bit weird and all the rest of it. And yeah, it's they, like, they, lo- they lose it on five minutes when it's like, yeah, exactly. they don't see the whole context. Exactly, exactly. Um, but you know that's uh, you, you just that's just how it's going to work, isn't it? It's just how it's. Just, I, th- I suppose in a certain way, it's always going to be like that. I remember the first time I ever heard uh, "I Feel Loved" by Donna Summer, and that was dropped by Richie Horton at Lost in London. No way! Damn, yeah. that was a bit bit late on that one, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was I was sixteen. Fair enough. So. <laughs> I was sixteen then. So, but you know, it was amazing. You know, it was when Horton was. Definitely, in my opinion, on top of his game as a techno DJ. So it was, yeah. that was, oh God, what, early 90s. Um, and, yeah, suddenly hearing the, 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 the disco bass line coming in and that, that haunting vocal made total sense to me at that time. Made complete sense. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those... Uh, that bass line has been sampled so many times in music... But I mean, it, there's nothing really quite like it, especially no, when you know you can't when knock you hear it one of the first couple times. And it, you know, it's like exactly. I'm sure you've probably heard it at like the supermarket when you're buying food or something, and it doesn't register. But it finally registers when you're like at a house party or in a car or at a club or something or a bar, and then you're like, "Whoa, what the hell is this track?" You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Great shit. Yeah. Yeah, here's to taking risks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even, even if I think a DJ has taken a risk and I didn't like it, I'll give them props for just fucking putting their neck out there, you know, and it's for, for doing it, for taking that risk, for, for putting themselves on the line and open to criticism. It's like, yeah, fair enough. Go for it. Good lad. Definitely. I mean, I don't know. I There's something to be said for a really well, I don't want to say well-oiled, but like a very nicely engineered dj set where it's like they deliver a great festival performance mm-hmm. of like cool new exciting music stuff like that i'm not even knocking that but no well i mean i have to say on the flip side is as me i get, I get in that environment i get lost 
Yeah. You know, my, my sound and my style of DJing does not translate yeah. into that environment. And I, I tip my hat and give full respect to the guys that can go in there and, and, and rock, you know, 20,000 people in front of them. It's like, wow, that's... Generally. That's... But you know what, what usually makes them the guys that get to play in front of 20,000 people is at some point they were the guys that were willing to take risks, whether that means dropping a track from a different genre at I the guess right so, time. Yeah. Or, I, guess I mean, so. not always, but yeah, yeah. a lot of these legendary guys, like when I was in Paris, for example, one of my first times many moons ago, I forget who I was with. Maybe it was Scan Scan X or Seven. One of the one of those one of the scans. Yeah, and some other guys. Um, <laughs> one of those scans. <laughs> we were talking about the Paris scene and old Paris names, and David Guetta came up, and they're like, first of all, they claim like super nice fucking guy. I, I don't know what he's like now, but they said growing up he was super cool, and they're like that motherfucker could DJ. You know hmm. what I mean? And. Listen, I didn't see him back then. I have, I'm sure as hell not going to see him now. But, no. you know, I think everybody starts off at the same place. And there's yeah, a sure. reason you kind of build up your, your repertoire, especially yeah. as a legend, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I mean, for you, you what what? how old were you when you moved over to Berlin? Uh, I just, uh, it was just shortly before my... 24th birthday 24th birthday yeah. so you did the bulk of the early clubbing years in the uk obviously then yeah oh, were, were you even doing much clubbing at that point or was oh, it oh hell yeah hell yeah i mean my my formative years were as a young teenager on the kind of like london uh illegal hardcore rave scene um, on the outskirts of the M25 where, you know, we was getting a, a number that would burn on onto our pager. Then we'd get to a phone box, phone this number, find the address and then go to it. So that was... Um, that was we my, had that going on. Yeah, yeah. So that was like from sort of like 16 through till, through to 19. I think my first ever genuine club experience was... Um, Andrew Weverell's residency, uh, the Sabre Sonic parties at Happy Jacks in South London, um, where that 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 properly blew my mind. That was that was where you know the switch was already halfway flicked, and that that flicked it fully the other way. You know, I got to see people like Leftfield with John Lydon live before they released their mm-hmm. their massive album Leftism. Um, I got to see the Chemical Brothers perform live when they were still called the Dust Brothers. Um, and all of these other cra- this crazy thing it was you know it was, it was an incredible experience of was, and completely contrary to what's celebrated today in Berlin of the yeah. 36 hour parties this party started at 10 o'clock on a Friday with doors opened within half hour the place was full within an hour you had a row of guys at the front with their tops off or in Scotland as they say the tacks off <laughs> 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 and uh, um at three o'clock in the morning, the party was over. Lights were on. The guy at the cloakroom was working at Fat Cat Records, wow. um, where he was selling pills while taking your coat. <laughs> and you know, at three o'clock, as I said, party was over. And then people would go back to their houses, and then they would have the the, the, the classic after the after party. And come six seven in the morning, everyone was going to bed. You know, that was that was kind of like the itinerary of the evening. Sure, that sure. Was, you know, ten o'clock, uh, queuing up in the club by ten thirty, party. Three You're just like getting it in. Yeah, three o'clock over, and that that was that was an amazing, amazing, amazing time. Yeah, you know, I think as and that, and that is actually something that still stayed with me to this day. Of 
I think it's better to just one of the reasons why substance the parties that we was doing the dubstep parties yeah. that's one of the reasons why we stopped that after five years was um, I know the two pools scuba and Paul Spymania um, both said that we want to stop doing this while we're on a high yeah and I was like yeah that's a, good that's a, that's a good good fucking move although we were standing there the music there, was changing though too admittedly oh hell yeah I mean that, that was the like the funniest thing is like when I started the party I was the only, only guy playing 4-4 house music mm-hmm. um, I remember when Apple Blim played his first gig at Panorama Bar after me and it was his first time he ever played a house set and he like looked at me and he was like yeah John can you uh can you tell me what, what's the etiquette here? Do I do I mix out of your track, uh, <laughs> or, or do do I stop and cut? Because like in dub, the dubstep etiquette is because everyone played such short, intense sets, like an hour and a half tops. Yeah. Um, but you know they were mixing every two minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it was right. like you know rapid fire. It was almost like hip hop style. Yeah. Like, and and then there would be a pause. Mm-hmm. And a clap and a, a little celebration. Bit more rock and roll style, definitely. Yeah, like def- a show. Yeah, definitely yeah. a more show style. So he was he was coming from that background. He was generally baffled and was like, "So what? What do I do?" And I was like, "Dude, it's up to you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. You can mix out of my track." And I have to say, I was a total bitch to him and left him left him with Why? with "You've Got to Show Me Love" by Robin S in Panorama. <laughs> 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 I was like, "Follow that." Oh, man. <laughs> the whole place going fucking mental to oh, man. this cheesy UK house track, which yeah. I do fucking love. You know? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, but follow that up with your wumble wumble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, he was he was playing he was playing a house set. Okay. So, um, but um, yeah, so as you said, it can totally changed over the span of those five years. By the end of those five years, everyone around me was now playing some form of a four four beat. When I was, uh, you know, and I started off with being the only guy doing the four four stuff. Yeah, it's like uh, copied me. <laughs> Assholes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I, that whole that whole world kind of seemed to go that route. Uh, what do they call it? UK funky for a bit. I mean, so not everybody went in that direction, but yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's they, they. God, all of a sudden, I want to go hear Robin S. <laughs> there's, I think there's only one. There's, I mean, there's still a few few purveyors of that sound. I mean, you know, Marla's still doing that, doing doing his yeah. sound, and he's still what he's doing is fucking incredible. Um, there's still a whole bunch of cats, and I, you know, and I remember what Scuba was doing when, as he was making that transition. I think that was one of the most exciting moments in his sonic career as a dj you know that was that was really interesting because he was just starting to understand you know people like marcel detman and the, the whole kind of sound of totally. techno and, and, and integrating that with his 138 bpm dubstep stuff and was making it work really well and that was when things started to really pick up and that was that was the the cusp mm-hmm. of something new um but now you know those that that whole kind of dubstep sound has, has gone yeah well, I mean I, just think about it like for example when you find a new album or a new band where you're just like oh shit this is amazing and you're playing it non-stop yeah for it doesn't matter how long it doesn't matter how old or new the band is either but for you it's new yeah. and you just like this is fresh you're inspired you're excited to actually listen to music again now imagine that there's 30 years of history behind that 
and there's all this crazy shit and it's all yours for the taking it's like binge watching a show that has seven seasons that came out 10 years ago you know like all right it's time to do the breaking bad thing and it's already there you don't have to wait for it <laughs> you're so late you're like dude breaking bad is so amazing it's like dude come on <laughs> we lived it like eight years ago <laughs> but that's what i'm getting at like when a lot of people kind of already had their moment and then not to say that like you're late on late to it or something, but when when you have the luxury of being able to ingest it all immediately at your leisure and you know what I mean and exciting to you, I wish I could have something like that. I'm I think I'm too nerdy in a lot of my <coughs> musical things that to uh, to ever have that moment again. You're but I picky. hope I'm wrong. I'm super picky, but I'm super picky. I'm not afraid to admit it either. I mean, I, I take this you've shit seriously. Really good insight, though. Well, you've got to, you've got to be picky as well. You've got to have what I, uh, I call you like you you you've got to install your certain filters. Whether those filters are just or correct or not or is irrelevant. Yeah, you know, you, you create your own filters, you know, you create your own bullshit filters, whatever whatever you want to call them, like stuff that just gets rid of things because there's such a wealth of information out there. You've got to be picky in some way because otherwise you can spend your whole time listening to everything and, and, and uh, no, you just can't it's, it's not it's not it's not feasible well i mean uh, the other thing is is i think when you uh you know like some people just fucking love football or soccer for americans and yeah. like doesn't there's no point in arguing it like they, that's what they're into and that's cool for me it's music and like so I, I take it really seriously while I'm not reading the internet every day to check out scoreboards or, or yeah. you know, who the leader is. I'm still trying to find out, you know, what's really... That's what we need, techno stats. Oh, Christ, let's not even get started. <laughs> we already have the... I'll trade you my John Osborne for your Richie Hutton. <laughs> Te- tech- techno stats, that could be really that interesting. Could be really, that could be great. What could you well, they like- already exist, and they're called ratings, and... <laughs> Yeah, right. no, no, but we're talking. I'm talking like you know, Not like RA actual individual marks for a, each set by set. You know, someone sits like Stato sits there. Some guy called Stato, that's his nickname, and he he's, he's he goes around and like he checks out every one of your sets and he marks down. It's like okay, there were four mixes where the beat was. Uh, you his know, name's Peter. No, and, <laughs> dude, and those. But the thing is, those guys exist and they're on the internet. So when you go to play his <laughs> right, gig, they're like, oh yeah, well he kind of sucked and he fucked up three mixes and blah blah blah, and it's just like. All right, well, let's see. 400 other people had a really great night, and you were that guy that was right in front, arms crossed, like, he did not just play that. Did he play that? He just played that. You know what I mean? Like, the asshole. Yeah. Yeah, he's there. That's Mr. Stato. That, that's, that, that's Stato, yeah. yeah. Stato. <laughs> Mr. Stato. Yeah. Mr. Stato. Yeah, he's, he's count, counting your mistakes. <laughs> I know I have plenty of them when I DJ, but, I mean, that's the other thing. I don't give a shit. You nah. know, it's... That. I I mean for me especially like uh, one of the things that people love to complain about is sound systems coming from the Midwest especially in the rave culture the sound systems were you know I didn't hear a function one sound system I think until like two thousand four or something well let's be honest sound I, systems were almost irrelevant yeah, as yeah, long as I it mean, was loud and it yeah. came oomph, oomph, oomph. That was good. Richie Hunt was able to pull together a good sound system in the Midwest, but for the most part, it was just a bunch of people moving bins around from yeah. city to city. Yeah. Not to say that they didn't sound cool or heavy as hell, but they weren't audiophile quality. No. And, um, <laughs> you know, so for me, there's like a certain romanticism about 
like six in the morning and you're hearing like i don't know some housey electro that is just a little bit distorted or clipping because the speakers are beat to shit all night and the dj's a little loose because he's either a not that good or b he had a little too much to drink or whatever yeah. and uh you he's know, been hitting the fruit punch yeah that, that kind of makes it exactly <laughs> that makes it that makes it a little bit more of a party you know it's not about dialing in a perfect set absolutely not yeah, again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Are we it's going all, back it's to all about the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the old Sirwin? Exactly. Sounds yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, bass comes out of it. Well, that, that was a thing. It used to be... Uh, it's, it's like uncontrollable bass. It used to, I fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs> right, and no, and I did too. Um, I did too, yeah. Yeah. That's cool as well. When you were the logo. Yeah, when you... When you, when you but, were, when you was a young teenager, that's so in Vegas was the shit. <laughs> yeah, with the fucking carpeted sides and stuff. I don't know. It, to me, I it, ne- it wasn't. It never necessarily sounded bad. I just kind of felt like this was not gonna be the the next step in the evolution of like sound systems that I should be playing on. Not not to sound like an elitist, but like you know, as as time moves on and technology improves you're like oh yeah this is natural this is what i should have next and then like when i show up and there's these carpeted speakers that look like they should be in the back of someone's trunk or boot in right the country, yeah, yeah, yeah i'm just like i don't know man like i i know that my my dad's stereo isn't that amazing but it still kind of looks like it pounds way more than this motherfucker yeah right, right. you know what i mean but yeah. are they still around i don't even know so in vegas know. god knows probably in some form, did you ever have you ever played a, um, the that small, tiny kind of club in f- San Francisco called Two 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 Height? It is called it. It was called. It was. I mean, no, it was Two 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 Height. I only Height did uh, Aland and like Kenneth Scott and yeah. those the reason guys the reason the reason I bring uh, this. Devajou. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Alain done his parties there and stuff. Tiny place, tiny place. You walk into it, and it's kind of like you know, for 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 all of the European listeners out there, it's like a classic American bar. Uh, you walk into it, and then at the back of this classic American bar is this tiny little club. Um, yeah. You know, it is, it is literally the size of most people's lounges. It's probably, the, yeah, it's the size of your lounge here. And they had in there the last um, rig that Turbo Sound made before they split up and then yeah. formed Function One. And well, those that, are great rigs. And it, it, it looks like a Function One, but it's sure. white. That's, yeah. that's what Zach has, DB Swan. Right. Actually, now there's a few other people in Minneapolis that have it. I forget his name. Like, I, I, we were at Bergheim Cantina, and I was like, oh man, I want to I meet Anthony Parasoli. And I ran up to no, Anthony. That's a DJ. Or are you talking about Tony? Yeah, from, just wait, it's uh, coming. So I ran up to Anthony, and I'm like, yo, dude, I'm Tim. Um, like I'm a fan and thank you for the great feedback and like it's nice to meet you and he was like Tim dude like we played a gig together in Brooklyn in 2003 and Homeboy who like we played on early Turbo Sound and it was the British cat who spearheaded the entire company I forget his name Tony Andrews yeah and he was like running around like setting up the sound system and like me and Anthony played in the same gig, yeah. which was completely bunk, but on this like amazing sound system. Yeah, yeah oh, we just got to come closer to the. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, well, well, two, um, two, two, two had not only that's that that rig. They then had an old analog rotary Allen and Heath mixer with VU meters on it, um, and I was they didn't have any vinyl with me. And then three CDJs set up. 
And it, this was like the after party. And it was completely confusing to me because it was like the American alcohol laws of like you, at two o'clock in the morning, alcohol can't be served. But then at six o'clock in the morning, alcohol it can starts be again. served. Yeah. So there's this four hours like twilight zone. Um, and then I got invited to play at this at this party at this after hours. Like, do you want to start, John? I was like, yeah, sure, hell. And you know, I started off playing in there when the doors were still closed. And of course, I started at you know ridiculously slow, 112 BPM or something. <laughs> and, <coughs> yeah, it was just like. And, but I never ever actually went anywhere. I played a six-hour set and never went over 118 BPM. You know, it was incredibly slow. Wow. And this was the first time in my life that the people in San Francisco really fucking got it. There was no one in front of me doing the waffy uppy hand signal going, come bring on, mate, up. bring it up, bang it out. Because, you know, in Berlin, I'll get that straight away. Come yeah. on, mate. That's more like come the on, fist bring in it. the... Yeah, yeah. This. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is good, but bang it. Come on, bang it out. No one done that. I never felt any of that pressure. So I just stayed plodding it out. And people were flipping yeah, out. It's pretty it laid back. incredible. Then, that yeah, it was it was really amazing. It really really blew my mind, and that and that, uh, that also ties back into you know what what, what we were saying. There's pressure from Mister Stato in front of you, whatever, and the rigs, etc. Yeah, it was it was a really really interesting time playing playing that playing that set, and it's uh, the club's now closed, so I was really lucky to get that that chance to play there because it was a beautiful fucking club, nice. and uh, really really inspired by. By the people that were yeah, it's quite a reputation. This Tuesday, yeah, unfortunately, it's closed now. Now it's gone. It's I did, a, the last time I was, no, I played. I forget where I played since. Control. Then. I, I I did control. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. I played after control was finished, but control is the one that I. <laughs> That's the one that I remember still. Um, that was also a really cool part. Was that not time. a two two two? No, that was at no. the end up. At the end, yeah, up. that's it. Yeah. yeah, which also had the like. Two o'clock. The strange alcohol world, yeah. ends, and then you're like sitting at the bar, going, "Ah, oh, come on!" And then six comes. Yeah, I mean that's, that's why. I mean, I played at the. Is it called the Beatbox? This this huge venue that the that Jeremy Bispo put his party on there, the As You Like It party, and the event. I think it's called Beatbox or something. I don't know. It's big. Okay. And I played after the headliner, which was two five six two. And um, I actually started at two o'clock as they stopped serving alcohol. Which was one of those really soul-destroying feeling because you know, yeah. obviously, you know, regardless of what I do, people are leaving. Yeah, people are just going because right. they're like, oh, you know, they're they're literally having their drinks taken out of their hands. It's either drink that drink up or give it to me now. It's two o'clock. You've yeah. got no choice. Ah, and that was just freaking me out. I was like, oh, surely you've got to give the guys time to at least finish their drinks. Oh. No, <laughs> drink your drink now, or I take your drink. I was like, well, and so yeah, the. So within the first time, that's the first time you got that. <laughs> that was the first time I ever got oh that, God, like, like, and that was my set that I had crazy to play. Yeah, it was horrible. So you know, the, and you're DJing. Yeah. So the first the first twenty minutes was great, and then after that, people were just slowly leaving, and it was just like, what am I doing? Am I playing? Am I playing wrong? Fortunately, one of the guys, the bar managers of the the, the, the place, came up to me and was like, "Don't worry, John. It's not nothing to do with you that they're leaving. They're leaving because there's no more booze here." <laughs> <laughs> and then it turned out at the two 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 party, which was which I wasn't actually booked for. I just got asked to play there, and no. that, that was a stunning, beautiful moment, one that will be cherished for many many years to come. I'll take it to the grave. Yeah, Jamaica's always talking about two 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 hide. Yeah, it was it was it was it was a spot. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I, I think, you know, I actually haven't been to San Francisco in quite a while. 
if anybody's out there, where the fuck's my booking request? Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'll come with Dustin. Exactly. But uh, I have to say, around like two thousand six, seven, around that era, uh, San Francisco was one of the more exciting cities in the United States to play in. Mm. And um, I mean, well, California was kind of going off in general. Yeah. Uh, L.A. was really booming for various reasons, and. Uh, I don't know. It was really exciting for a while, and then the scene across the United States kind of died off for a bit. And then it, I think it got really good again around 2013, Yeah, I think, like I was, that. I think that was when I played there. Yeah, actually. and then, honestly, like right now, I, I I don't play there so much, but it felt like it kind of lost a little bit of the tenacity that it built up. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was, at the time, that was really one of the cities to... Hit up. From what I from what I can tell through, um, I don't do you know do you know Jeremy Bispo? Yeah, he yeah. used to live in Minneapolis actually. Oh, re- oh yeah. yes, yes, he did tell me that. That's right. Yes, yeah, that, yeah. That's where he, where he studied there, I think. But yeah. um, yes, yeah, so he's been doing these uh, parties called Rare Form. And when I went there the first time in 2013, and I visited him where he lived, and he lives in Oakland. Yeah. And when I was walking around Oakland and hanging out there, I, I I could feel Oakland. I was like, this place is right, man. This is uh, like. You're putting all the parties into San Francisco. Why are you not doing it here in Oakland? Because like yeah. this, I can feel it here. And he was like, "Yeah, all of the cats just they won't travel. O- they won't travel over Close the, the fucking door, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they won't travel over the bridge." And I'm like, "Which won't travel?" But apparently now it's a true deal. Yeah, yeah, it's but, changing, right? Yeah, apparently now it has now changed. Like he started mm. putting on these warehouse parties where there's he doesn't have much budget to do it, and it's all for the love. But it's now kicked off. Yeah, and it's called Rare Form, I believe parties he's doing and um i hope that i get to play there one day at these things but they're they're, they're they they really do look like there's some serious serious nights going on there get going back to the catching the original ethos of the vibe and why we're all involved in it yeah i mean i you know fuck i i don't i think i haven't been to oakland in four or five years but the last time i was there I, I actually played at a mansion party that was... You could get tickets to go. It, was, it wasn't like a private invite thing. Um, but it was also a benefit. They would have like a a secret uh, or a silent auction. And it was crazy because it would be like you for five grand, you could go up in an F-1 fighter jet with a pilot and just get whipped around like a motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like, Or like you could two weeks, go to France for two weeks to study with some crazy chef and become a, like, like the high-end aristocratic It sounds sort like of, my kind of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so I'm hanging out at this mansion and I'm playing and I think it's uh, Raiz from Droid in LA and a couple yeah. other acts. And... Um, yeah, like they were kind of explaining to me at that point, like a lot of people still kind of had this uh, bad taste in their mouth about Oakland because it was on the other side of the bridge and it was a little rough. But I mean, there's definitely, I think it was Piedmont or Piedmont or something, that area where it was, obviously it was a mansion. It was quite nice over there. And they were already saying like, yeah, Oakland's starting to change and mm, everything mm. like that. And, you know. Yeah, well, I, I felt, as I said, I, I went there with complete innocence and naivety and was like, I'm really feeling this Oakland area. This is fucking cool. What's the problem with it? I think, you know, let's, 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 this is a place I could live. I could move here. And my wife was huh. like, my wife was like, you do know this is the murder capital of America. Every city, <laughs> yeah. Every, every city <laughs> prides themselves. Yeah. 
It, you know, every year it's like, well, you know, St. Louis is actually the murder. No, Washington, D.C. is the murder capital. I'm Man, like, just go to Detroit. Yeah. But That's all you got to do. It's like, I, you know what? I don't ever have to worry about the city that I'm living in becoming a murder capital of the world because it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Like, I, But it's true, though. Like, I, I feel like people almost wear it as a badge of honor. Like, oh, this is the – like, and first of all, or they'll say, like, uh, Caracas, Venezuela is the most dangerous city, or Juarez, Mexico. Every city is like the most dangerous city in the world. And I'll tell you what, right now, I've been to almost all of them, and maybe I'm just around good people. They didn't seem all that dangerous <laughs> to, to me. me. You yeah, know what right. I'm saying? It's just all fear mongering. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, because that I, being said, there's some cities I'll never go back to for a variety of reasons, but some, some were dangerous, but not the most dangerous city in the world. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I'd felt nothing but, like, positive vibes when I was wandering around Oakland on my own. And I got back and I told Jeremy where I was been. And he was like, whoa, shit, you was in that area? I was like, yeah, well, was that bad? He was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that was bad. And I was like, it was cool to be. I was talking to people. They were cool. <laughs> but maybe I was putting myself in a really precarious situation. But No, uh, I don't was, think so. No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I'm, like, I'm, I'm London born and bred, so like, I know yeah. when a troublesome situation is arising... There's not that much of a cultural difference between, you know, yeah. trouble. Trouble is trouble. You know when it's coming or you don't. And well, I think, you know, it's not all randomized. People are going to get you if if you put yourself out there. It's, you know what I mean? You're not just going to randomly walk into a gunfight or something. I mean, it happens, but it's not. Yeah, of course. But, no, you it's, you, it is where I think it's, it's, it's all about attitude, isn't it? You yeah. know, if you walk into those kind of places scared and thinking this is a dangerous place, you're going to invite it. If you walk into it an open open mind with peace and love and joy, people are going to feel that and they're not going to, yeah. they're not going to react to it in any way. I mean, like, I was, I was playing in Mexico once and... Uh, this guy is driving me around, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is one of the worst neighborhoods in the city, and people get kidnapped and murdered, all that usual chatter. And I'm just like, fuck, this this isn't good. I'm like, so it'll be really I'm easy like, for you to I'm find like, cocaine. I'm so, like, so why are we here? And he goes, <laughs> oh, well, it's a shortcut. I'm like, it's a shortcut. I'm here for four days. I don't need to take a shortcut to anything. I just got beach time on the schedule and playing the gig. You know what I'm saying? I would like to live, so can we like, take the long cut? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know what? The scenic route's good for me. You know what I'm saying? Totally. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, you were in Houston recently, right? Dude, all I can think about right now is like uh, rotisserie chicken, tacos, <laughs> hamburgers. I'm so hungry. Uh, yeah, I was in Houston. Um, I got some bananas, some bread. I got some nice shit to eat here if you're interested. Oh, bananas. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see you want a banana right now. You want a banana? No. I didn't think so. <laughs> no. But there's other shit to eat here if you if Yeah, you I was in Texas. Um I was in Texas for two weeks. We had Christmas early. <laughs> did you Did you know that Texas is the birthplace of ecstasy and dance music? Yep, Dallas. Yeah. What? Well, no. I mean, the, the, there was a German chemist. I don't know about that, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a German up. chemist, a Catholic German Catholic. It was a German chemist that introduced it to a Catholic priest. He invented Michael Douglas's and involved asshole. with the Philip Stark Club in Houston. No, no, in Dallas. In Dallas. In was, Dallas. Like, ecstasy was huge in the, the game. Be, it's before it was, before uh, it was made illegal. Dallas House. Well, yeah, I mean, wasn't it originally made as, like, a uh, thing to treat uh, couples that 
were having issues. Oh, there was there was those various uses for it that have been that have been proposed as it had been discovered, yeah. and and there, as there was no legislation for it at all. But the first club in the world that was combining dance music of some form as we know it with ecstasy was the Philip Stark Club in Dallas, Dallas yeah. Texas. And it was literally being given out by a, Wikipedia by a, by a priest, by a father. <laughs> I don't know whether he was a Catholic or an evangelicist or whatever, but you know, a, a man of the cloth was giving out MDMA. Um, Grace Jones was frequenting the place mm-hmm. and loads of, obviously loads of gay guys. And it was obviously vibing. Um, Apparently. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then, and then along came, uh, President Nixon and ruined it, everything for everyone. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, that was, that, that, the, that, that always takes me to because you'd always imagine that it's like Amsterdam or London well, or Well, there whatever. were stories like, like when I, when I started going out to clubs. Who's Dallas, Texas? I started going, like my first club I went to was in 1988 it was called etc club etc and i was 13 and i lied and said i was 15 to get in whatever but like back then we heard stories about the 21 and up clubs where you could literally buy pills of ecstasy at the bar which sounds completely stupid but it was true yeah it was like no big deal it wasn't like the bartenders were like hey be cool with this they were just like yeah how many do you want you know I mean, that was arguably before a lot of drug regulation was in effect. I mean, at this point, you already have, you know, uh, I'm sure cocaine and stuff, all that was really uh, scheduled. At, I don't know. Did they do the scheduling before or after? It doesn't matter. But, I mean, like, it was, you know. Uh, cocaine was scheduled way before ecstasy. Ecstasy was like an unknown. It was like, like just like. John- well, that's what I'm saying. Everything starts off unknown. Every drug has a legal... What is this thing? And then it. What does it do? Yeah, and then once it like becomes an epidemic, then they start saying, "Okay, it's time to acknowledge it." You know, right? Yeah. I don't know if this is the end of the podcast yet, but let's let's uh, let's talk about it as we're wrapping up the show here. Let's plug some shit, Tim. You got a couple records coming out. One on John's label. Uh, uh, called yeah. the switch. Called yep. the switch. The switch EP. Which That's with is, Lando, right? Yeah, it's produced yeah. by myself and Lando Calariz, or also known as <clears throat> Antaeus Lando Roy. Mm-hmm. What a fantastic name! Yeah, Antaeus. He's a fantastic Lando guy. Roy. Fantastic. Oh, guy. he's great. He's he's, he's, uh, he's and he's, he's touring pretty with... and it's talented. He's, oh, an arsehole. Well, he's <laughs> <laughs> he's got a lot of patience with me. Um, that, like our day usually starts out like he comes over, you know, we drink a couple of beers, we're cooking food and like we, we produce, we start off with a beat and like the day ends with like a tune, which is great. It's magical. Um, but That's we, awesome. yeah, we created like a couple tunes haphazardly shop them to John first Lee mm-hmm. and John picked them up. Um, I think it was one of the, f- very rare times where I've just instantly heard someone's like, I'm putting this out. This is coming out. That's so cool. And you know, simple as that. It's and like, those yeah. are usually the records that end up doing the best because I've had that with my label. Yeah, yeah. You know? The first tune we made uh, for this demo was clocked at 133.333 infinity BPM. So the EP, you have like the, the A side, which is whatever, 128, 45 RPM. And then the B-side starts off with another tune, leads into the last tune, and the last tune 
locks into oh god yeah this fucked me up when i got the test <laughs> you were like what's forgot wrong with about the record it, <laughs> it, forgot about it the never ends <laughs> well i'm listening to the test pressing and you know i've wandered off into the kitchen to make myself a cup of tea or whatever what and i'm making a cup of tea and then i can hear i'm like i'm listening to the same fucking bum, loop bum, here bum, bum, bum. Bum. Bum, bum. I'm like, no, there's not a fucking jump in the test present, is there? No, uh, no, <laughs> no. And I've come running in and looked at it, and I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to see the telltale jib in the needle. Sure. And I'm like, there's no jib. Oh, it's that fucking lock. Oh, fuck, I remember. Uh, Tim said he's had a lock groove. It was, it's yeah. gorgeous. But there was a moment when a heart in mouth, you know, it's like, oh, there's another three months of delay exactly. Joke's on oh, you, man. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then I have a, a new EP that's coming out in March called 1999. It's kind of like sequential, tough tunes. The inspiration came from um, early Hyperactive on Missile Records. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's one tune I love from you, Joe. It's so good, dude. Um, but yeah, I've just been like tracking it out. And 1999 will be out, yeah, late March, vinyl and digital. It's just being awesome. promoted now, right? Yeah, It's being promoted, yeah. It's five, four, five tunes, one digital only. You, yeah. all right. And John, are you, I mean, I know you're doing more DJing than producing, but do you have stuff coming out for oh, yourself yeah. or on oh, your yeah. label? Yeah, yeah, I've got so I've got loads of stuff in the pipeline at the moment. I mean, the past uh, year or so, um, I've been quite active in the studio, and I'm sitting on a bunch of material. Is it yours or your kid's stuff? It's a really good uh, question. I, I, will, I will credit my son. <laughs> no, I've got... Um, uh, Doing your homework. Son, do your homework. It takes on a whole different meaning. Exactly, yeah. Have you finished my tracks yet? <laughs> um, no, I've got uh, a collaboration EP that I'm going to release on my label, which is me and uh, Tallman. Brian, Brian Mitchell, Tormis, yep. 785, which is the Curfew EP. Um, then I have a solo EP that will probably come out on the, not on the sub-label Tanstuffle Planets, but the main label Tanstuffle. Um, and a couple of other things that I'm shopping about. And then I've got like, I don't know, another 15 tracks of stuff that are kind of finished or half finished or whatever that are sitting there um, that I'll don't know what I'm going to do with. So it should be fairly prolific here then it should be in theory if, if i uh, if i get my finger out and get on with it and actually talk to people and play the, people yeah. the music you know I, I kind of it's purely modular you know yeah <laughs> i mean this side this kind of like sounds a little bit like wanky to say but it's just it's genuinely true i enjoy making music and once i've finished making music i don't really care about it after that and uh, but then i'm also aware of the business module that i have to take part in it's like okay i've actually have got to release this stuff and i'm not so uh, i'm not so hot on doing that i'm not so hot on giving my music out and playing it to other people well they usually want to change everything (laughs) yeah that or i'm not happy with it and i want to change everything as well yeah (laughs) Yeah, it works both ways but uh, yeah it's like the, the, the when's a track finished uh, well, it's just like I, I like I like to say to clients, you know, come on, John, let those birds fly. <laughs> Barry White. Yep. How about uh, time to let those birds fly? Any podcasts or gigs you guys want to plug at all? Um. Yeah, I've got. Uh, 
what have I got on the podcast front? Uh, I said I've just done a mix, and I think I know where that's going, but I have to keep my mouth shut about that at the moment. And um, I'm going to be doing a um, Tanstaffel Mega Mix. <laughs> you know, like back in the day in the 90s, you'd have those like Mega Mix tracks. Sure. would have basically the whole album put into one one track. Mm. Um, so yeah, basically I'm going to make a, a podcast out of all of the released, all the stuff that's been released on Tanstaffel. Since it's since cool I actually just realised today um, that Tanstaff was five years old today to this nice. very day. Congratulations! <laughs> and I was like, holy fuck! So yeah, there's um, fourteen releases. No, thirteen. Thir- well, four, thirteen releases that are out. Fourteen, including the one that's Tim's going to be mastering next week. Um, so out of that bunch of material, I will be making a a, a mix out of it, which is Excellent. kind of I'm really excited to do that actually because it's you know it's you've got all these constraints you know and the the, the mother of creativity is limitation and so I'm limited yeah. to releasing to, to mixing only these tracks from my own label, and I have to say I'm very I'm guilty of actually not playing as much as I love them obviously obviously I love them I put, yeah. put them out but. I always find it really hard to play either my own music that I've made myself or even music that I've released. It's just too close yeah. to home. I, I, just, I just feel awkward playing it in some way. So that's going to be that's going to be hitting the road soon. And I think that might be... I, that I, would I be interesting if you did like a live set with like your catalog. Yeah, that could also be interesting. But I mean, this, this is... This is I think I'm at liberty to say that this will be in conjunction with some some kind of boiler room thing going on. Okay, cool. Um, so that will be happening probably at the end of right, uh, Q2 this year. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think I'm back out to Japan again in April. Um, I've got a nice Get Deep gig coming up soon in Berlin. And I really like the Get Deep part. Is it about blank? Um, they're doing some good stuff. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. Excellent. Any other messages to throw out there, or are you all good? Oh, good. All right. You guys have a good one, then. Peace, love, and unity. Thank you. Bye-bye.